I understand here this morning that you guys like the heat. Is that true? No? I almost switched my message around to talk about hell this morning, but I thought, nah, that might not get too, too uh, welcome. But I do want to tell you a story. Did you ever hear the story of the little girl? The story of the little girl who was talking to her teacher about whales. The teacher said it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because its throat would be too small. Well, the little girl stated that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Irritated, the teacher reiterated that a whale could not swallow a human. It was physically impossible. The little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I will ask Jonah. Well, the teacher asked, what if Jonah went to hell? And the little girl replied, then you can ask him. She's from CPS, this little girl, you can tell. She's from CPS. <laughs> and I like her. I like her. I had to squeeze in something about hell since we were all in this heat. But I want to ask the question, why should you listen this morning? I mean, here you are in church. Why should you listen? Why should you give me the time to, to talk and I think what I, what I have to say and what the Lord has to say here this morning is important. We're in, a, we're in a series right now where you're seeing different pastors from different locations that, would, that are going to different locations, and so you get an idea of the depth of the team, and you get an idea of other pastors that are <clears throat> uh, within our congregation and within our, not a network, but within our church. And so I look at this as a privilege and an honor to talk about something, some different traits that you will see in the people of God at New Life Community Church, what we are and who we're about. I've been around long enough at New Life to know and to be able to define, if we were to do under a microscope, a, a visual of our DNA, that this looks like New Life. I want to talk this morning about those traits. I want to talk this morning, and here's why you should listen, because I'm going to talk about a need that's deep in our society and in our city today. And one of those needs is hope. So I want to talk about hope. I want to talk about vision. I want to talk about restoration. I want to talk about renewal. Traits that define us as New Life Community Church. Traits that define us as the people of God. So if you can, turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. Now you say, Pastor, where in the world is Nehemiah? I can't find it. Don't worry about it. We've got to project it on screen. But what I like to do is have you get into the Word. You can follow the verses on screen. And then you can also follow along in your notes. You should have gotten notes. Can I have a, you raise your hand if you, got no, if you didn't get a note? Did you get any notes? There should be fill in the blank. Some of you might have gotten ones with the answers already in it. And our ushers will make sure you got those. So just raise your hand up, and our ushers will race that over to you really quick. Raise it up nice and high. I want you to follow along in your notes. And here's the reason why. Because <clears throat> you can't depend and live on only one meal a week. You have to be able to feed yourself the Word of God. You have to be a self-feeder. And so I give you those notes so that you can go back and dive in a little bit deeper. And maybe you've never even read the book of Nehemiah, but you can go back and you can read that and apply it to your life. So follow along, fill in the blanks if you would like. You can always follow along on the PowerPoint. Let me give you some background from the book of Nehemiah and what Nehemiah was all about. Nehemiah is really a story about a man that provided leadership and provided integrity 
and provided hope for a community that was broken and lost. This is about the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem that was in shambles. The city of Jerusalem that had been conquered and its beautiful wall had been torn down. The gates that were the pride of the city had been burned. And this city was under siege. It was the people that were in the city were brought into exile. It's called the Persian captivity. And the reason that they were punished, the reason they went into exile is because they had turned their hearts away from God. They had turned their hearts away from God and they began to worship idols. The affections of their heart, to make it relatable to us today, had drifted away from the true God and it is like they had turned their back on God and went in a different direction. There became things that had more uh, that gave them more joy than their relationship with God, at least they thought so. So God punished them. God brought a chastisement. And so Nehemiah, it's 141 years in, in, in exile. That's a long time. And there was a remnant of people that were left in Jerusalem that were living in affliction. They were living in shame. Their city had broken down walls. They were vulnerable and burned gates. They were at a place where they felt like we are so vulnerable. And the picture of Jerusalem, the condition of Israel, speaks volumes about the human condition. How many times have we seen in our own lives in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhood, and our city that's broken, vulnerable, without hope. We see it a lot. I saw it in my own life growing up. I had to face those different broken areas in my life and trust the Lord to heal me and to transform my life by the renewing of my mind. But, but Nehemiah saw the brokenness and the book of Nehemiah is really a picture of what brokenness is really in our own lives. In the time of Jesus, he also saw human brokenness when he looked around. God in the flesh came, looked around, saw human brokenness. And it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and 38, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus looked at the crowds, thousands of people that were following him, thousands of people that heard of the hope and the message of this itinerant carpenter that was traveling around, and they would follow him in droves, thousands of people. And when Jesus would look at them, he'd have compassion. He was even concerned about whether or not they ate so he didn't want them to go back home and travel back home with an empty stomach and grow faint. So he, he took the loaves and the fish and he created food so that they could, they could eat. So just like Nehemiah had compassion on the remnant of people that were in this broken city, so also Jesus. It's a common theme in God's economy to have compassion on broken people. To have compassion on those that have lost hope, those that are hurt. Even Paul in Acts chapter 17 was concerned because the people were idol worshipers. It says in John, Acts 17, 
while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue. The Apostle Paul, going out, planting churches, he was distressed. He was bothered because he saw that the hearts of the people drifted towards idols instead of towards the true and living God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we will will recognize the places in our own lives that are personally broken. We may not like to face it. We may not like to agree with it. We may like to kind of shuffle it under the rug and pretend like it's not there. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we'll see the walls that are broken down in our own lives. Those areas in life where it seems like we have no longer any defense. Areas like habitual sins that just seem to keep creeping up. When you just think you got over it, there it is again. Fear and shame. The painful emotion of shame and anger. These areas in our lives that we all deal with from one degree or another. The negative faithless attitudes and thinking patterns. The hurtful attitudes that we have and the generational family sins that we find so difficult to change. It's like we're that remnant in Jerusalem where the walls are down, we're vulnerable, the glory of the city is no longer here, and we feel shame. Sometimes we've been sinned against. We've sinned against others, and they've sinned against us, like the inhabitants of of Jerusalem. And we look to God and say, help us through this. We see this brokenness in our own lives. And that was the kind of ruin that, the, that Nehemiah entered into. Nehemiah went into Jerusalem and he saw this brokenness. He arrives at the scene of Jerusalem, broken Jerusalem, and he begins to confidently create a new community. He begins to confidently create a community of hope with a new vision, a community of healing, a community of restoration and renewal. And what I see when I look at this story, which is a powerful story, I see a direct correlation between the work of God through Nehemiah and who we are as a church of the living God. Specifically, who we are as New Life Community Church, Berwyn, and New Life Community Church, Cicero, and every other location that's in this city today. So who are we here at New Life Community Church? We are, first of all, and if you're following the notes, you can go ahead and fill this out. We are a people of hope. A people of hope. Here, Nehemiah writes really in his journal, and one of his brothers by the name of Hanani, it says, Hanani, one of my brothers from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Nehemiah's brother went to Jerusalem. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king of Persia. He was not in Jerusalem at that time. Jerusalem was 800 and some odd miles away. He was the cupbearer of the king. He was a Jew under captivity. How would you like to have that job, a cupbearer of the king, where you had to drink the king's wine before he drinks it to make sure it's not poisoned. 
Think about that. So you die, and the king knows, okay, that was poisonous wine. That's the, kind, that's the job that he had, okay? But he built a trusted relationship with the king to the point the king had compassion for him, was interested in what interested in Nehemiah. Nehemiah has a burden placed on his heart about Jerusalem. One of his brothers goes there to scope out what's happened in this broken city, comes back and reports to Nehemiah about the people that were in Jerusalem. He, Nehemiah says, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Nehemiah asked about the welfare of the people. How are the people? How is the remnant? And he asked because he was a man who had hope, hope that things would be different. He had a vision that things could be different. So he's interested in what's going on. He's interested in the brokenness. He's concerned about it because he was a man who had vision. Hope is always birthed out of vision. If you don't have vision, you don't have hope. If you don't have vision, all somebody needs to do is just one stiff arm, one point of resistance, and it, and it stops you in your tracks and you never move forward. If you don't have vision, you don't have hope. And if you don't have hope, you're in trouble. <laughs> Especially if you're in a situation where there's brokenness in your marriage, where your kids have run prodigal, where there's illness, or you lost someone that you really love and you're, going through, you're reeling in pain. Hope is a key point, and it's who we are as the people of God at New Life Community Church. We are a community of hope. And when you look around the city of Chicago, when you look around Berwyn and look around Cicero, do you see people that need hope? Absolutely. There are a lot of broken people that need somebody who's saying, I believe, I see it could be different. Hope is always birthed out of vision. It's always birthed out of vision. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people do what? Perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, everybody just goes and does their own thing, but there isn't any continuity, there isn't any direction, moving in the same direction, there isn't any congruency, we're just kind of doing whatever we want to do. You ever try to run a job site like that? You ever try to imagine running a construction crew where, every, where there's no vision of what we're trying to accomplish and then you give everybody, you know, everybody just kind of does what they want to do. Will there be any kind of success in that? No. It'll just be a big mess. So Nehemiah comes into this situation and he's speaking hope. He sees, he has a vision that's birthed from hope and it drives him to God. Listen to what it says in Psalm 31, 24. Be strong and take courage. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Because you hope in the Lord, be strong and take heart. The power of hope gives you the ability to stand up strong. It gives you the ability to take heart, to, to pick your heart back up and say, you know what, we can do this, I can do this, we can do this. That's what hope does. We wait on the Lord. We trust the Lord. The Lord gives us the strength that we need. But also Romans 5.5 5 says this, and hope does not disappoint us. Hope, a people of hope. 
Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Some people look at hope as like, well, oh, I hope so. No, that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is I know so. How do I know for certain? How do I know? How I put my hope in God. How do I know that this is what God wants and that this is, there is hope after life. There's hope within this life. How do I know that? Why? The text says because God has poured out his love into our hearts. It hasn't been sprinkled out. It's been poured out into our lives. Poured out. It's not stingy. And hope, therefore, is dependent upon God. And if it's dependent upon the king of the universe, the all-powerful God, then I can say, you know what? It may seem like my job situation is in shambles. It may seem like my health is in shambles. It may seem like my marriage is in shambles. But you know what? No matter the outcome, my hope is placed in almighty God. And therefore, I can take courage. I can take heart, right? I can stand up and face life and all that it dishes out and the harshness of life. Why? Because my hope is, is anchored in and dependent upon the foundation of Almighty God. At New Life, we have a vision. We have a vision of hope. We have a vision to bring hope to people and to families and neighborhoods and our great city. We have 27 some odd locations scattered throughout Chicagoland. And that was our vision from years ago, and I'll touch upon it in a minute, but our vision is to plant life-giving communities of hope. Life-giving communities where people can receive forgiveness and experience healing and be restored and be renewed in spirit and body. We, we 27 locations, over 4,000 people that meet every Sunday that are part of your church scattered throughout Chicagoland. Each of them have, each person has a testimony of hope, just like in here. All of you, all of us that have come to know the Lord have a testimony of hope. Nehemiah had a heart for the people, and he kept his heart tender. He didn't allow the harshness of life to get him to become bitter. He didn't allow the harshness of life to cause him to be jaded. He kept his heart tender. The tenderness of heart is so key when it comes to hope. If you want to really be a person of hope, and if we really want to function and move in the realm of hope, we can't be a people who grow defensive in our spirit. That say, you know, I've been hurt enough, and I'm never, nobody's ever going to hurt me again. And you get stiff, and your heart becomes jaded. It becomes hard. Listen to what God said to, to one of the kings of Israel. His name was Josiah. He was a reformer king. But just listen. I'm just going to read it here. It's a, a connection that God's word makes to tenderness of heart and hope. And 2 Chronicles 34 says this, Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. But what strikes me about that in the realm of hope is that Josiah kept his heart tender and humbled himself. We are people of hope, 
We can't allow life and the world to jade us, to cause us to be hard, to cause our heart to become crusty, to become defensive, to become fighters. Because that just resists everything that's about hope and about our God of hope. So we are a people of hope, but we are also a community of healing. Listen to what it says in verse 3, Nehemiah. Nehemiah speaking, he says, They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the providence. Those who survived the exile are back in the providence, and they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah recognized the situation. They gave him a report. These people are in trouble. These people are in disgrace. Nehemiah recognized it. He saw that the gates were broken, torn down walls, vulnerable inhabitants. The city of Jerusalem was basically in a ghetto. It had become a ghetto. And the sad part of that, the report that comes back is basically Jerusalem's in a ghetto, and here's the sad part about it. There were people in the city that liked it, that liked Jerusalem to be a ghetto. There were unscrupulous money lenders that were taking advantage of the vulnerable. Whenever you see brokenness, there's always going to be some people who are going to try to take advantage of that. In Jerusalem at that time, there were also power-hungry leaders. Power-hungry leaders that were protecting their own interests, that were protecting their gains. And there were anti-Semites. There were those that had racist biases against Jews. And this is what Nehemiah is walking into. He's walking into that kind of situation. And here's another interesting, sad point. When Nehemiah saw the brokenness within Jerusalem, yeah, there were the, the evil and wicked folks that were taking advantage of the vulnerable, but there were also those, and this is a sad point, there were inhabitants in the city that lived in brokenness for so long that they thought, well, this is the way it is. I guess this is the way it's supposed to be. This is, this is how life is. This is normal. I, I accept things for the way they are. It, it is what it is, and there's no change. There's no, it is what it is. This is what I've always known. It's what I've always known. And so there isn't any, any oomph to step out of that situation but Nehemiah thought differently. He saw the devastation and critically dangerous situation that the people were in. He thought differently. And listen to me this morning. That's what a community of faith does. We think differently. A community of faith sees the situation as it is. They see it in the church, in the community, in individual lives. We see it for what it is. And we make moves toward bringing healing to people that are broken. We see it for what it is. We call it for what it is. But we make moves to get people forward, to get them unstuck. Nehemiah began to make movement to change things. If we call ourselves a community of faith, then we need to be about helping people. We love God and we love others. Here's what happens a lot, though. We find ourselves saying, I love God, but we're so hung up with our own issues and all we worry about is our own selves. All we worry about is our own problems. We never look outside. I want to tell you, one of the ways to, to help bump you out of, out of depression, one of the ways to help you to get unstuck 
is to begin to think about how you can help others. Begin to move forward in helping others and see how good that feels. See, but that's not coming out of your own ambition. That's part of who we are as the people of God. We're a people that brings healing. We're a people that brings action. We're we're a people that casts vision. We're people who says, think differently about this. You don't have to wallow around in your, own, in your own pity party. You've been doing that for long enough. Begin to look up. Begin to think of things differently. Begin to move towards the God of healing in your life. Nehemiah did that. And Jesus did it too. Jesus took action and he cast vision. Do you remember at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry? Jesus went into the synagogue like he normally does. And someone handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Look what it says in Luke chapter 4. It says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, handed to Jesus. Unrolling it, Jesus found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to preach, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Jesus also brought a message. This was his commission. This was his mission. To bring good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free and release those that are oppressed. That same commission is now incumbent upon us as the people of God. To say we're going to look out of our own four walls and we're going to get out of our own comfort zone and we're going to, we're going to identify ourselves as a people of hope but also as a people of healing. But we are also a people of restoration, point three. A people of restoration. Look at verse four. Nehemiah says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When I heard these things, that the people were in danger, when the walls were broken down, I began to weep and mourn and cry. Nehemiah prayed and set in motion the power of heaven. Nehemiah said, my response to this is not to figure out how to do it on my own, but my response is to pray. I'm going to seek the face of God. And when Nehemiah prayed and when he fasted, what he did was he set in motion the power of heaven to bring action, to bring change upon the earth. Listen, your prayers don't just go up into heaven and kind of loft up there and it's this mystical kind of experience. No. What your prayers do when you're praying in Jesus' name, your prayers go to heaven, and what they do is they they set in motion the power of God. They set in motion the power of heaven. When you're praying... God begins to move. Matthew 18, 19. Listen to what Jesus said about prayer. Matthew 18, 19. Jesus said, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Just two of you saying, We're going to agree. We're going to agree in heaven. We're going to agree on this. Now, if you're agreeing for a green Corvette, that's probably not within the will of God could be, but highly doubt it. What he's saying here is when you pray in alignment, when you agree, 
with the word of God and you pray in alignment and agree together, whatever you ask, it'll be done for you. In other words, when you agree there's, and you pray, you set, you set free, you set in motion the very power of God to act upon the earth. Remember when Jesus couldn't do very many miracles in his own hometown? It was why. It was because the people didn't have faith. They, they weren't in agreement with what the Word of God said. They weren't in agreement with the, what the prophets had revealed about the return of Almighty God. And they, they, Jesus, it says that Jesus couldn't do miracles there. But I want to tell you something. When you agree with your friend, your spouse, your, sm your small group leader, people that are in your family, and you begin to agree and pray in agreement, for things that have been a problem for you and your family for years, and you agree about it and you bring it before God, what you're doing is you're setting in motion the very power of God. It's like war. War only, war has to first be enacted in Congress before it is executed on the battlefield. There has to be, there has to be an agreement in Congress, yes, we're, we're giving permission for our country to go to war. And then it's enacted on the battlefield. It's the same thing. You're agreeing together with your spouse. You're agreeing together with your business partner. You're agreeing together that this is what we're going to bring before God. And then it sets in motion and it, it, becomes, it becomes evidenced in the battlefield of your life. There's something powerful about a father and a mother agreeing together about the welfare of their children and praying about it. How about that, husbands? How about the night? Grab your husband, grab your wife by the hand and say, let's kneel here before the bed and let's agree together for the welfare of our kids and our grandkids and our future grandkids. Amen? Amen? That's right. That's right. There's something powerful about that. Just to give you a little history, I'm not saying this because I'm a Bible teacher. I'm saying this because it's part of our history. It's part of your history. It's part of New Life's history. We are, and let me emphasize it, a praying church. We are a church that prays. Over 20 years ago, we called a 40-day season of prayer and fasting. And I'll never forget it because it was the first time in my life that I went 40 days without eating any food. And I couldn't have done it unless there were a couple other pastors that were alongside of me starving, to get, starving together. I had a lot more padding than Pastor Mark. He's a really skinny guy. Got a lot of muscles. So it was easy for me to lose 40 pounds, but we all did it regardless. We said we are at a point in our church's history where we need to pray and seek the face of God as to how he wants us to reach this city, to reach this broken community, to reach the hurting people that are within our city. And the only way that we can really do this, we, see, we need to be so serious about this that we need to fast and we need to pray before God. And we're going to go 40 days. I don't think we knew what we were saying we were going to do. But we did it. 40 days drinking juice and broth. I never want to see a can of tomato juice again in my life. But at the end of that 40-day fast, this group of skinny pastors, along with the whole church, 
that fasted along with us got together and said, what is it that God is saying to us? And that word was plant life-giving communities of faith throughout the city. You can't just meet at one place. You can't just meet, meet at Soldier Field or, the, or some other kind of Rosemont arena. You have to meet in different places, different languages, and scattered throughout the city. And here we are now, 20-some-odd years later, and look what God has done. 27 locations, four different languages, scattered all through the city. You know why? You know why? Because it's a God move. Because there was a seeking of God of prayer and fasting and saying, God, we want to come in agreement with what you want for this violent city called Chicago. With a lot of beautiful, wonderful people, but there's a lot of brokenness. We want to plant life-giving communities of faith, these springs of water in a dry land. We want to, we walked away from that fasting saying, we want to raise leaders within that's why you see a Pastor Juan Sanchez, a leader within. A Pastor Roger Cortez, a leader within, raised up to become pastors. We have pastors that have gone to Bible college and have doctorate degrees, and we have pastors that, are, that have never been to Bible college. And you know what? That's the way we like it. Because we want to see men of God that are called, that are faithful and available and spirit-filled and trustworthy, to step into the pulpit. So we, we've raised leaders from within, and we wanted, at the end of that fast, saying, okay, God, what are you saying? And, it's, and the word was provide a healing and a restorative message to all people, to all races, to all persuasions, to all generations, to rich and poor CEOs and street people. And I want you to listen clearly this morning. We believe that no matter where you're coming from, that God is going to do a work in your life when you come to New Life Community Church, when you invite people to come to New Life Community Church. It's not about us. We're in cooperation with a multitude of thousands of other church, Bible-believing churches scattered throughout this, this city. We're not in competition with them, but we believe that when you come, whether it's this church or another church that's Bible-believing, that God is going to work. That he's, it's not that you need to get cleaned up before you come to church. You come to church <clears throat> the way you are. You come to church with your messes. You come to church with your hang-ups. You come to church with your habitual sins. You come to church messy, and that's good. Welcome to the club. All of us here, news alert, are messy. And all of us here have messes that God can only clean up. And if you think you aren't messy or you don't have a mess, then that's your problem. That's your messiness, that you think that you're all that. I don't have any problems, Pastor Roger. No, you, you have problems. That's your problem. You think you don't have any problems. And you cast judgment on everyone else. I want to say this morning that God will meet you where you're at. As a matter of fact, he's here this morning. He's here with outstretched arms. He's healing. He has a healing message. So we're people of hope. We're people of healing. We're also people of restoration. Look what it says in verse 4 and 6. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love 
with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins of the Israelites, including myself and my father's household, that, I, that, they, that we have committed. I'm going to get a drink of water. Is that all right? I'll put this down. If it was in a cup, I could drink it. Oh, man, that's good. As a matter of fact, watch this. I brought my own Gatorade this morning. How about that? I just wanted to drink it in front of you because I knew most of you are probably thirsty. So I'm going to take this. Wow. That is good. Only $4.99 at the end of the service in the back. There's going to be a pile. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. But... If I don't stay hydrated, I could, have a, I, I could trigger a stroke in my life, believe that or not. It's happened before. I had heart surgery in January, and so I've gone before preaching, getting dehydrated, low blood sugar, and ended up having a stroke while I was talking to everybody. I don't think you want that kind of drama here today, do you? No? Okay, good. Here's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah sought renewal. And he did it in two ways, and I'm going to wrap it up here. Here's how he did it. Nehemiah approached renewal with a twofold priority. One, he acknowledged that God is great and awesome and trustworthy. He says, then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all those who love him and obey his commands, this great and awesome... See, he saw, he had a lofty view of God. He acknowledged that God is great, awesome, trustworthy, and full of love. Renewal first begins in our lives with a lofty view of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you're in a tradition that I grew up in, we prayed the Our Father a lot. We prayed a lot of other prayers, but we prayed the Our Father a lot. I didn't always really know what hallowed means, but now I sure do. It means high and holy and lifted up otherly, that he's God and I'm not. And Jesus himself teaches us that when you pray, have a lofty view of God. Acknowledge God at all seasons of your life as, as, as amazing and powerful, worthy of being health, in a healthy way feared. When you see God as he is, great and awesome, in his exalted position, all else in life becomes second place. Boyfriends, girlfriends, desire for a boyfriend, girlfriend, the dream to be married, the wish that your husband would be different, that your wife would be different. Everything else takes second place. Your ambitions in business, your lust for money, that all comes second when you see God for who he is. When I see God as he is, I see the world as I should, and all my troubles and challenges are brought into proper perspective. So Nehemiah was able to bring renewal to the people because he lifted up God as holy and almighty. You want to bring renewal into your family? Begin to lift up God. Begin to give God first place in your family. You want renewal, spiritual renewal? 
You want physical renewal. You want emotional renewal. Begin first by having a lofty view of God. And begin to cultivate that, initiate that in your family. Hope you're listening, husbands. Because that is on you. Your wife can do it too, but it's really on you to take the lead. So we want to love God for who he is. And we also want to enthusiastically worship him. So Nehemiah is saying, God, I worship you. I acknowledge you as being great. He begins to worship God by acknowledging God for who he is. And he begins to lavishly worship God. And that's what we do at New Life. As a matter of fact, worship team did a great job this morning. They were singing with their heart great songs. I loved it. I started breaking out in a little bit of dancing over here. It was a great time. And we value lavish worship in this house. Why? Because if we don't, when somebody that's broken experiences the restorative power of God, it's hard for them to hold back. And so if they begin to express, we're like, go for it. You know, God did such a great thing in your life. Now you're, you're lifting up God and you're saying, look what God has done. If I can't, I can't hold it back, I have to say something about it. And we don't go there and say, shh, this is church. You're not allowed to raise your hand and sing loudly. Now, that's nothing wrong with kneeling, singing, uh, lowly, worshiping God in quietness. As a matter of fact, I love that. But I'm not going to shush somebody because they're enthusiastic about what God did in their life. Just not going to do it. Because if we hold back worship in people's lives, you know what's going to scream in this church? You know what's going to call out and worship in this church? This, this beautiful stained glass windows. I couldn't help resist that. Jesus, when he went into Jerusalem, he said the rocks will cry out. When the Pharisees and Sadducees tried to shush the disciples, Jesus said if they do not cry out, the very rocks, the inanimate objects will scream out and praise me. So when it comes to worship at New Life Community Church, we value that as a high priority. But then lastly, and this is my last point, Nehemiah brought renewal he stepped toward renewal because he took responsibility for the sin. It says in verse 6 and 7, as he's praying, he says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant, Moses. Nehemiah saw the issues. He saw the decay of the city. He saw the moral decay. And yet he never pointed the finger at everybody else without first pointing the finger at himself. And he said, Lord, you see the sin we committed, God, we committed this sin, and I confess our sins. And whether he was guilty of the sin or not, he still confessed the sins of his fathers. This is what it looks like. It looks like knowing that you come from a family with a pattern of divorce, and you say, I refuse to allow this to happen in my family, so therefore I get on my knees, and I bow before the great king for who he is, and I say, God, I need you to stop this pattern in my family. I confess that sin that's been generationally 
in my family. The, the sin of drunkenness, the sin of adultery, the sin of backing out from responsibilities, you name it, bitterness, anger. Nehemiah is saying, I'm stepping up and I'm, I'm confessing the sins of the people. I'm confessing my sins. I'm confessing the sins of my father's house, of my family. And this is a practice in the Bible. Ezra in Ezra chapter 10, verse 1, and Daniel in Daniel 9, 20, they both prayed confessional prayers on behalf of the people, but also confessing the sins of the people and their sins of themselves. That's a powerful point. It's powerful when a husband and a wife get on their knees and they begin to name the sin and confess it together. Many of us here this morning, as the worship team makes their way up, many of us here this morning need renewal. We need renewal in our marriages. We need renewal in our families. We need renewal, inner renewal of spirit and soul. And the beautiful thing is that we have the power to act on that right here, right now. We hear the word, we do the word. So, what is it that God has said to you this morning? He said to you, you know, I need you to step more enthusiastically into this God-sized vision that I have for Chicago. I need you to step in and take more initiative in this God-sized vision that I have for your family, your marriage, your own life, the ministry that I've called you to, that you'd begin to anchor the way you dispense ministry, and no matter what you do, in the, in the four categories of, of hope, instilling vision, seeing how it could be, seeing how it should be, and begin to speak in terms of hope instead of defeat. To make the, the word of healing Introducing others to the healing Christ. And when I say healing, I'm not talking about just physical healing. I'm talking about the healing of soul that so many of us need. You'd speak that word of restoration. Many of us need to be restored back to our first love and begin to pray a prayer of restoration and then look to God for renewal to look to God for who He is, to begin to confess our sins, the sins that have passed down in our families from one generation to the next. And then ultimately, when it's all said and done, it's only Jesus who can ultimately bring hope, healing, restoration, and renewal to our lives. It's only Him. He's the only one that can bring it to your life and your marriage and your family and your community and to your own personal soul. And that's why he died on that cross. That's why he gave his life. So that you could have a relationship with him. That you could enter into that relationship. If you've never trusted him, it's the here and it's the now. It's the time to do that. And if you have trusted him, but you've 
allow the affections of your heart to drift. And you find yourself here this morning, you're wondering, why am I here this morning sweating and watching the pastor drink Gatorade? You know, you're here because God sent you here. You're here because God wanted you to be here. And if you felt like the, the affections of your heart have begun to drift, you felt like your heart's become a bit hardened and not as tender as it used to be, today's the day and now's the to allow God to touch you once again. Amen? Let's pray.